This is an ABC podcast. Imagine having a spontaneous orgasm without even touching yourself. No hands, just climaxing. Sounds fun, right? Well, imagine it happening many times a day. Five, ten, twenty times a day. And you can't control when and where it happens. Yeah, it's starting to sound a bit less fun, hey? This is called persistent genital arousal disorder. And the first time I'd come across this condition was actually many years ago on an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Do you have seizure disorder that you're aware of? Epilepsy? It's not epilepsy. I don't have any. Oh no. Oh God, it's happening again. Oh no. Ah. Ah. Was that it? Did she just know Orgasm. Yeah, they make it sound kind of sexy, but the reality is that it's painful and has a huge impact on your mental health as well as your relationships, romantic, family and friends. Nat Tenchich here, and in this episode, we're finding out what it's like to live with persistent genital arousal disorder, or PGAD for short, a rare condition that sees mostly vulva owners, but some penis owners, experience constant arousal, like an itch you just can't scratch. Earlier this year, we did an episode on multiple orgasms, which you can go back and find in your podcast feed. While science can't technically prove that they exist, we found that plenty of you are experiencing them. And that's when Indigo got in touch with us. While I was cheering on listeners who could achieve the mythical multigasm, Indigo told us about how her life was plagued with unwanted, spontaneous orgasms and just how rough it's been to deal with the shame, stigma and isolation that comes with PGAD. Since I can like cognitively remembering anything at all, um, I had what I describe as an itch down below. Um, so I was doing all of these really weird and wonderful things when I was younger, obviously well before the age of being able to recognize what sexuality is. And it was also sort of diagnosed as um, OCD. And throughout the years, my mother would continuously taking, like she would take me to doctors and be like, no, like there's something seriously wrong here. It's not just OCD. And alas, this condition was not existent in medicine 20 years ago. So I'm 26 now. Um, I sort of left it throughout my primary school years, even though it was very difficult to deal with until about puberty. Um, I, I really realized something was not normal if that makes sense at all and it was actually in a clear you know like those sealed sections like way back in the day that you'd read yeah in one of those right so someone was sharing this story about involuntary orgasm and here I was at maybe 16 17 in Caboolture at my cousin's house like reading this magazine and I took it I was so ashamed I like I still hadn't really come out to mom and been like look this is actually what's going on involuntary orgasm So I realized finally I wasn't alone. Um, I was like, okay, this exists, it's in clear, whatever. I mean, awesome. And that sort of started me on my journey going to see specialists like who really, really, really specialized in gynecology who started to work with me and 
what I knew about my body. So with the feeling, I describe it as, um, you know that feeling you get right before you sneeze? Mm. Sort of like that, right? But down below and no sneeze comes to relieve it. So it's a really agitated sort of itchy, throbbing feeling downstairs. Um, For me, it doesn't stop, it doesn't go away, it fluctuates depending on different different stressors and things like that. For the record, this is the first time I've come out aside from working with gynecologists and speaking to my mum about it. Um, A few of my friends know about it, but it's so taboo. And statistically, with this condition, actually, it's unknown how many women have it due to the shame. How often does it happen for you? (laughs) Daily. It can vary between 5 to 10 on a bad day, 10 to 20. And that's the really strange thing. Uh, When I'm around people, it's like I subconsciously contract my pelvic floor muscles. So it happens less when I'm around people, which is really strange because that's happened over years at primary school, like when I was little, um, constantly. And it's interesting because over the years, I think psychologically, I've sort of trained myself. I mean, I avoid like really big social interactions anyway, but any overstimulation that is external because it's not anything to do with stimulation like that at all. But things as such like personal experiences, it gets, yeah, it gets really hard because you don't really want to be around somebody and then have an orgasm, which on the offhand, it does happen. So it's sort of like this weighing up whether I'm emotionally able enough to be mindful of what's going on in my body, which seemingly helps anyway. Like on a good day with my mindfulness, it can be less than five. And it's ironic because those days I'm always alone. Yeah, it's easier to control when you're or, you know, to have a handle on when you're by yourself. So I'm curious about how this has impacted your sex and dating life. Hugely. Um, I've been single for four years now, going on five. Um, I was in a open relationship for seven years of my life up until I was 21. Sex is such a huge part of that and connection. And um, when I'm like already super hyper aroused, I'm not really feeling in the mood too often, but that's the paradox of it all because people are like, oh, you're already aroused. You should be in the mood. And it's like, so not like that. Do you think it's because Um, like your pleasure has been kind of linked to this trauma for such a long time? Yeah, I do. And um, it's something that I've been trying to actively work on for some time now, but it's it becomes difficult when people don't respect that boundary, but it is something bizarre. And like I identify as straight or like asexual, so... And I think that has a big part to do with the psychological thing. When it comes to sexuality, really coming to a point of that same wavelength where we're able to like be understanding with each other and understand that my needs are absolutely going to be different to theirs. And yeah, meeting in the middle. And to be honest, I've been so afraid of that because of the trauma and renormalizing what um, sexuality is for me. Yeah. You said you might be straight or asexual. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? I guess I say that I'm asexual in senses that, yeah, it's difficult to have a connection with somebody physically when physically I don't I don't really work that way despite what this may all sound like. And because my body is so turned on all the time, it's difficult to 
please them where I'm feeling pleased too, which is like, it's not great, you know, where only one of you are feeling pleased in a mutual experience or that emotional connection where it, it really feels like, okay, cool, you know, this is good, like in fireworks happen, you're like explosive in the bedroom. Like it's just, it feels wrong for me to be in a relationship with someone. I feel like I can never live up to the expectation of normality in a way. You've talked a little bit about speaking openly and connecting um, because no one's been talking about it. Have you found any sort of community online or anything where you can connect with other people about this? Not really. And it's funny you bring that up because uh, prior to this, I've sort of been looking for them and just like seeing if like there are some, there are some in America, but in Australia, not really. But as for the real life, you know, where you can go to like your girlfriend and be like, hey, you know, how bad was it for you today? Like how many orgasms did you have today? Like, no, that's not a real life thing at the moment that I'm, that I've found anyway. And in my opinion, not enough discussion about it. Like people hear about it. They're like, oh, you know, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I remember, I think the only contact, you know, I've had with it and I sort of had heard of it before, but like, I don't know if you've, if you ever watched Grey's Anatomy, but I know there was a Grey's Anatomy episode where a girl had it. And she had a really conservative dad and it was like the drama came from like the fact that she was sort of orgasming all the time, but like her family was really conservative. So I never saw that episode, but touching on that reality, absolutely. So like I'm completely estranged from my family, black sheep, we'll just put it that way. But um, for the, primarily the reason like that it's so taboo. Tell me a little bit more about that and your relationship with your family because that sounds so painful to to have to deal with psychologically on top of what's already going on yeah I do wish to have a strong connection with my extended family and stuff but there is just so much shame there around it I guess and um, it's not something I usually speak about like people know that I'm estranged from my family but they don't know why and I guess yeah it's a pretty pretty full-on reason and pretty real reason as to why it's so difficult for them to accept who I am and that like no I'm not some like sex addict or something like that quite the opposite I suppose to just kind of round the conversation out what is the one thing you really want people to know about living with PGAD that they're not alone if they have it and to seek help uh tell people tell your close family and friends people you trust Um, that you're having these symptoms if you are at all and just be kind to yourself you're not completely abnormal as abnormal as this feels I know it does trust me but you're not alone so yeah for people like indigo who are going through this debilitating disorder in silence there haven't been many answers out there as to why it happens and how to manage it well until kind of now It turns out from a very recent study that there might be a potential cure. So it's really uh, defined as repeated and unwanted kind of sexual arousals and orgasms. That's Dr. Bruce Price, Chief of Neurology at McLean Hospital in the US. He co-authored a 2020 study that looked into the similarities between a handful of patients with PGAD symptoms over time. One of the 10 women that we reported uh, was a firefighter in Maine. And she would have these remarkably unwanted, inappropriate orgasms, literally while fighting fires. 
and, and obviously it distracted. Can you imagine? While it's a small sample, just 10 women, they managed to uncover some important stuff about what's happening in the body when PGAD occurs, as well as treatments for the disorder. More on that later. But how many people actually struggle with this? It's still relatively unknown how many people have PGAD, but Dr. Bruce reckons there are more people with it than we think. Uh, amongst uh, academic medicine and journals, it's rare. But I understand there's always kind of the internet underground and the chat rooms. And uh, from what I hear, although I haven't checked in, I would estimate if I had to, uh, tens of thousands of women throughout the, um, throughout the world, it's uh, at least 90% proclivity is towards women. And, and that's because uh, one of the things we do in the article is kind of trace the sexual mechanisms and the neuronal firing. And we really see it almost as a, uh, a, a, a what we call a somatosensory hallucination in, in which you, you can't control it and it controls you. And um, off you go. Could you just explain that word somatosensory hallucination? What does that mean exactly? Uh, uh, somatic is just like a, an idea that gets translated into a body action. And, and then the sensory is just the sensation, the nerve endings really around the pelvic uh, region uh, that fire uh, almost uncontrollably. So something like 70% of the women, seven out of 10, had uh, less than 30 arousals or orgasms per day. 30%, believe it or not, um, had almost continuous orgasms, arousals, almost continuous, 24-7. Uh, and only two had uh, searched the internet and heard about this. The other eight came in saying, doctor, what's, what's wrong with me? While Indigo was super young when she started developing this disorder, it can happen way later in life and take decades to diagnose. From our limited uh, 10 women, the median age is 52 years, and the onset of this PGAD was 11 to 70 years before diagnosis. So long, long, long suffering. So what actually causes this disorder? For a long time, PGAD has been treated as a psychiatric issue. The classic, it's all in your head vibe. But this study of 10 women found physical issues were largely to blame. So it, it looks to be in the, the pelvic region and which uh, starts in the lower uh, back, we call the sacral area, which is the region where uh, uh, the, the, the nerve roots circle around from the back and into the vaginal area. Um, so three or four of the patients had what are called little cysts, which were uh, compressing on the, uh, the, 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 the sacral nerves. And several of those with surgical removal of those cysts were actually cures. Uh, certain disc disease that depends on the same, deserve, uh, the same nerves uh, uh, can be addressed and relieved. One of them was actually uh, secondary to a medicine we call duloxetine. I don't know if you, if you know that, and I don't know the brand name in Australia, the brand name in the States is Cymbalta. Uh, but actually that caused uh, this PGAD and simply with its cessation, uh, it, uh, it went away. But from a psychological standpoint, there is another factor that can have an impact on the experience of PGAD symptoms. After we spoke to Indigo, she told us that she experienced sexual assault in her childhood and believes her PGAD might be linked to it. The women who were part of Dr. Bruce's study were extensively screened and they found they had no past sexual trauma. 
so therefore they couldn't say that there was a strong causal link between trauma and PGAD. But Dr. Agnes Kochish, head of clinical health psychology at Imperial College Healthcare NHS, who's treated many patients with PGAD, says past trauma can make it even harder to endure the symptoms. So the way that we relate to our bodies uh, is affected by our past experiences, whether they're pleasurable or not pleasurable. So if you've had the experience of abuse, of sexual abuse, if you've had sexual assault, especially repeated sexual assault, then inevitably the relationship to one's body overall, but also specifically to all the phases of um, arousal are changed by that. In a proportion of uh, women who present with PGAD, and I'm just talking about a proportion of them, they will have be uncomfortable with sensations, with genital sensations overall. Um, And that affects uh, their whole experience of their bodies. So they're very different from women who, as it were, have sexual functioning, if you like, sexual activity and sexual pleasure in one box and PGAD in another box. For those women, um, they're they're complicated and they, they merge and Therapy is useful um, for that in terms of being able to untangle. It may also be that uh, with the experience of abuse, especially especially in childhood, that that might, in a in a fundamentally fundamental way, affect the way that um, sexual experience develops. Uh, we're not really quite sure about that, but it's clear that we that there is a sexual window. Um, for women and for men, um, maybe at different times, uh, when our sexual responsiveness uh, is pretty much laid down. So in in both those different ways, uh, previous abuse and assault uh, can have a big effect on the way that PGAD PGAD is experienced. As Dr. Agnes said, PGAD can mess up your relationship with your body, arousal, and sexual pleasure. And as Indigo said, she almost mainly considers herself asexual now because of the way that her PGAD has shaped her relationship to orgasm. Everyone with the disorder experiences it differently. But Dr. Agnes says you can actually have normal wanted orgasms amidst the persistent itching feeling of PGAD. And that can just make things even more confusing. There are some women who are, who may be particularly uh, unnerved by experiencing this. Others who, in a way, take it in their stride, but are nevertheless really suffering. Although it's important to realise that um, women can can have normal orgasms as well as the the PGAD. Um, If you think of the the PGAD orgasm, and I'm not sure in a way that's almost (laughs) the right term for it, because um, it's almost like a reflex. And I think your your earlier speaker, as she was describing things, she described it as a sneeze. Mm. Uh, um, And so let's not really think of that as orgasm. If we think of it more as a sort of physiological sneeze, which has very little to do with uh, the orgasm that you would experience in in sexual activity. 
because it sort of brings on that arousal, but as we've also heard, like climaxing or going to orgasm doesn't necessarily um, get rid of the sensation. No, on the contrary, it tends to make it worse um, because, again, if you think of it as an overactive nerve um, or an overactive circuit that, that, that keeps firing, there's nothing pleasurable about that. When we think of arousal, we're also thinking of the reward centers in the brain, aren't we? So um, we're we're thinking of all the uh, all the additional components that go into a ro- uh, into arousal, whether it's uh, alone or with another person, um, whether that's fantasy or whether that's to do with with the sensory input, the emotional connection. So there are things happening in the brain uh, during um, sexual arousal and orgasm in a sexual context, which are quite different from what is happening in the brain with this sort of reflex response. Not only does PGAD have an impact on sexuality, but it can make maintaining a relationship really tough. Here's Dr. Bruce Price. None of our patients were depressed or had anxiety before this onset. And every one of them that were in a significant uh, sexual relationship, uh, that relationship ended. It's just, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's too much. Dr. Agnes says while it's hard, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. And there are many techniques partners can use to find some pleasure and connection in sex with PGAD. On the whole, you know, a, a sexual partner never wants to cause um, their, their, their partner distress or difficulty. And uh, if the, and it usually is the woman, although not, not invariably, um, is, is having such problems, um, then the partner tends to get very uncertain about uh, approaching her um, for, as it were, sex, as opposed to, you know, this, this other thing that we're talking about. So I suppose like with all of these things, it's a question of, uh, of communication and, and being able to find other ways of being able to express their, their physical as well as their emotional connection. And we use a lot of mindful sex, um, we use a lot of mindfulness in our sexual function work generally. And we encourage the, the couple to, to bring mindfulness to their sexual relationship. While there are treatment options and therapies to help improve sex and relationship satisfaction, the fact is that there is still so much we don't know about PGAD. And we need to talk more about this disorder so we know more about how many people live with it and how they can get help. So spread the word. If you found this podcast interesting, share this episode on socials. Leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast player and tell a mate about the hookup. And if you, like Indigo, want to share a story with us or have a question or topic you'd like us to investigate, DM us on Instagram at Triple J The Hookup or email thehookup at abc.net.au. Catch you in the feed next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.